You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. The Michigan presidential primary is just a couple of weeks away, and already we have seen a lot of fireworks in the presidential primaries and caucuses that have taken place in other states. It seems really uncertain what could happen next. It seems really uncertain where the race could stand by the time the candidates get to here in Michigan. And it seems Equally uncertain, I think, where all this ends. Who ends up with the Democratic nomination? And is it going to be somebody that people think has a good chance to beat Donald Trump? That seems to be the core of the debate inside the Democratic Party today. Whether someone like Bernie Sanders, who represents the core of the left wing of the Democratic Party, would be a stronger candidate than somebody who's a little more centrist, who might attract independent or maybe even even Republican votes, somebody like former Vice President Joe Biden or Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York, who is a new entrant into the race. Here to talk about all of those dynamics is Dennis Darnoy. He is a Republican political consultant who tracks voter data. Dennis, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's just start with your assessment as an outsider to the Democratic Party of what we're seeing so far. Bernie Sanders has won the popular vote in all of the caucuses that start that have taken caucuses and primaries that have taken place so far. I read something today that he is the first person to ever do that, uh, at least to the Democratic Party, to, to be that popular up front. Um, at the same time, things aren't over. I mean, we are very early in the process, and there are lots of other candidates who seem to be either gaining or losing momentum. I think the field will look very different within just a few weeks. But I'm curious what you make of what's happening there. You know, it feels like a a redux of 2016, just a reversal of parties. It's sure. Like the Republicans said, look what we can do in 2016. And the Democrats said, here in 2020, here, hold my beer. Um, <laughs> you know, Bernie is, is tracking very closely to what Trump did in 2016. Um, Trump finished second in Iowa and then ran the table with uh, New Hampshire, then Nevada, and South Carolina. So we will wait and see if Bernie can repeat that in in South Carolina. Right now, Biden's got a pretty healthy lead. Mm -hmm. Um, But that lead is shrinking, and uh, in large part to the money that Tom Steyer is spending there. Mm -hmm. So it's now making Bernie a little bit more competitive. But I think we are seeing a, a lot of what we saw in 2016 with the Republicans, where you have one candidate that is um, kind of anti-establishment, and then you have a large number of other candidates who are sopping up that quote-unquote establishment vote. Mm-hmm. And if you took the totals of you know Biden, uh, Buttigieg, um, and some others, and Bloomberg in, in, in later states, you would see that there is a large majority against Bernie Sanders, but the problem is they're dividing the vote. No different than Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, John Kasich, Jeb Bush did in 2016. Hmm. So, so if you're a Republican who is disenchanted with this presidency, and I know a lot of Republicans who are very open about the fact that that they don't think this president is representative of the things that they want to project 
as as part of the Republican Party, even if they're thrilled with the economy, which I think most people uh, agree that that things are going pretty strongly there. Um, give me a sense of how you would sort of make, make sense of this field. In, in other words, I know a lot of Republicans who say, I don't want to vote for this president again, but I need the right Democrat to be on the other side in order to cast a ballot in that direction. I think that's the other sort of, I guess, math that's going on in people's heads right now is which of these candidates might pull people over from the middle uh, or from the near right and maybe assure a, a victory in November? Sure. So for economic conservatives, um, looking at a Sanders or a Warren candidacy makes that equation very, very difficult. Um, you do look at this this president, and as a Republican, you say, you know, he is he is not a conservative. He isn't someone that you can support on policy or in personality. But then when you look at, at who's being placed before you, it's a very, very difficult equation to then say, yes, I want to go and vote for somebody who supports Fidel Castro. So it, it's a very difficult um, equation right now, and we'll have to wait and see how it plays out, because as you said, there's still a lot of time to, to determine that nominee, and it may go very well go to the convention. Yeah. If the Democrats nominate somebody like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, who sit further to the left than, than the other candidates, do you think that that makes it more likely that even never-Trumpers who are part of the Republican Party and consider themselves conservatives might cast a re-election vote for this president? Or are they more likely to just sit it out and say, I, I, I can't vote for either? Yeah, I, I think it would be that latter choice where um, maybe there'll be a, an independent candidate, a libertarian candidate that you can uh, more align with ideologically and, and say, look, I can't vote for either one of these. And I'm going to vote for, uh, you know, a libertarian or, or a conservative candidate, much like you had last time. Um, people who couldn't vote for Trump or couldn't vote for Hillary start, you know, cast a vote for either Gary Johnson or Jill Stein. And a lot of people argue, hey, that's a, a wasted vote. But those voters can say, look, I voted my conscience. I didn't like either major candidate. Um, so I'm going to cast my vote for someone who I'm more aligned with. Hmm. And and as a Republican looking at this field, give us a prediction of which of these candidates you think Republicans might be most interested in in voting for. Who would who would almost certainly draw uh, middle of the road Republicans uh, who are disenchanted with this president into the booth to vote for them? Well, the funny thing, I mean, it's very, very clear. I mean, a Biden or a Bloomberg or a Buttigieg or an Amy Klobuchar could much, uh, would have greater appeal to uh, moderate Republicans, uh, never Trumpers. The problem is that's not where the Democratic primary voter is. And the rank and file are very comfortable with Sanders mm -hmm. and or Warren. It's it's the Democratic establishment, much like the Republican establishment last time had a huge problem with Trump. And so the path to victory for the candidates look different in the sense that Biden and Bloomberg uh, and probably Buttigieg as well could put an Arizona or a Florida back into play 
where Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren won't, or, or would it would be much a, a higher challenge for them. But a Sanders or uh, a Warren could compete in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan. Um, so, you know, again, it, there, there's just this really weird situation where uh, Republicans who are very, very uncomfortable with Trump um, and, and still are Republicans. I mean, you know, we believe that our that, that we're not going to leave. Some have left the party, but a lot of us won't leave the party because we believe that there is something to fight for. And uh, conservatism and traditional Republicanism, Republican, um, is something that you still want to fight for. Um, and so, um, you know, looking at the candidates, sure, we would have our preference. And I, I suspect that in Michigan's upcoming primary, a lot of uh, Republican voters who cannot support Trump will vote in the Democratic primary mm. uh, to try to boost the the candidate they think more more likely to win. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would definitely say your your middle of the road, moderate, independent uh, leaning Republicans would prefer a candidate um, of a Biden, of a Buttigieg, or of a Bloomberg, Klobuchar status. Mm. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Dennis Darnoy. He's a Republican political consultant who tracks voter data. We're talking about what's going on in the Democratic presidential primaries. We've seen several so far. Bernie Sanders is the clear frontrunner at this point, but it is also really, really early. Super Tuesday is coming up. South Carolina is coming up. And Michigan is also poised to cast its ballots in the Democratic presidential primary. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what you make of what we've seen so far in those primaries and what you expect to be the case by the time the candidates get here to Michigan. Uh, Are the debates that we're seeing, for instance, the one last week, are they making it easier for you to choose which candidate you might vote for uh, when we hold the Michigan primary? Or is it making it more confusing? Are you worried that uh, electability and your principles might have to have a fight and decide who's going to be more important uh, before you cast your ballot. In other words, are you really enamored with a candidate because of the positions they hold, but are you worried that that person might not have a great chance in the fall against President Donald Trump? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Before we get to listeners, uh, Dennis, I want to get to uh, what's going to happen here in Michigan on Friday, we got the latest, the latest total of absentee ballots that have been sent down in Michigan. More than 730,000 have gone out compared to just 420,000 in 2016. Uh, what are we to make of that increase? It's, you know, the having the option, uh, you know, with uh, Prop 2 and Prop 3 passing um, last election and giving us the opportunity to have no reason absentee, a lot of people have taken advantage of that and um, local clerks were very aggressive in advertising it and marketing it. And, and so, um, you know, it's hard to, what, what you can say is that people are excited about the option. Um, but what we have seen, there are two two things to look for. One, 
Um, traditionally, there's been about an 8 to 10% drop-off between the number of applications that go out and then the number of applications that go in. So some of the vo- those voters will still go to the ballot box and vote even though they're requested an absentee. The, the second question that we won't know until after the election is, is this sort of a, a realignment of how people vote? So people who are traditional ballot box voters are now saying, you know, no, I'm going to take advantage of this absentee ballot option, or is this actually increasing the voting population? Um, traditionally, what we've seen is is something about uh, along the lines of, you know, 50 to 52 percent, uh, you know, absentee or um, and, and then the rest ballot box. But what we saw in 2019 was a huge shift um, to the point of where some communities had 80 percent votes were cast by absentee. Um, and so we won't know until after the election whether it's a realignment or an expansion of, of the voting pool. Hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We got a lot of folks who have thoughts about the Democratic presidential primaries. Let's start with Tara in Detroit. Tara, welcome to Detroit today. Are you there, Tara? Hi. Hi. Uh, I know we're talking about the primary more so than anything, the Democratic primary, but mm-hmm. I was wondering why we focus more heavily on Democrats when we talk about electability. I, I just wonder because for the last elections that were won to Republicans with more electoral votes, you know, they lost the popular vote. So I'm wondering why electability matters more for Democrats. Like, don't Republicans need to win over some voters, or is that just a lost cause already? Hmm. Like, in terms a, of the Democrats coming over to the right. That's a great question, uh, Tara. Talk about why electability is an issue in in this campaign, especially given that four years ago when Trump was, you know, causing the same problem in the Republican primary, electability was the was the issue. But then it turned out that that wasn't as big a deal as people thought. I mean, he did lose the popular election, but he won the Electoral College pretty handily. So so why are we even talking about electability at, at this point. Because right now and, and going back three years ago, the biggest motivating factor for Democrats is who can beat Donald Trump. And so the the focus in, in the conversation is looking and saying which candidate in these states can put this in play and therefore it translates into who's the most electable. I do think, though, to, to Tara's point and, and what you're saying, Stephen, is right now a lot of people are saying that, that Sanders doesn't meet that electability quota. But the fact of the matter is if you do go back four years, uh, Republicans were just going crazy thinking there's no way Trump can beat Clinton. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how are we, why are we choosing this guy? He's not electable. Um, I do think that if Sanders does become the nominee, you can make an argument that a number of voters who supported Trump over Clinton are natural Sanders supporters. And there are a lot of people who preferred Trump because he is a disruptor to the political system. And that's something that um, a Sanders campaign would offer over a Bloomberg or Biden. So so it's it's the concern is, can we beat Donald Trump? And that's why the issue of electability um, is focused mainly on the Democrats, because it's it's incumbent upon them to beat the incumbent sitting president. Um, and so as long as the president holds his base, then, then that's why it's not that much of a focus for Republicans. Yeah. Uh, Tara, great question. And uh, we really appreciate 
the call. Let's go to Charlie in Dearborn. Charlie, what's on your mind? Yeah, hi. I used my absentee ballot last week, and um, I somewhat reluctantly uh, voted for Bloomberg. Um, not because I like him the best, um, but I figure he's got the most money, and messaging is key. That's how Trump won the campaign with a whole lot of media help. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, to me, it's whoever can beat Trump, we got to get him out. And what is it about Bloomberg that says to you he could beat Trump better than, say, Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg or any of the other uh, other candidates? Well, one, he's a New Yorker. Uh, two, he's pretty tough. And most importantly, he's a billionaire. Yeah. And that's what it takes, sadly. Mm. Uh, Charlie, I think that's a really that's a really honest <laughs> admission on your part. I'm really glad you called and and shared that with us, Dennis. I I think there's going to be a lot of people, not just in Michigan, but I think in the states leading up to Michigan, who are thinking the same way. And that is what certainly what Mike Bloomberg is counting on is this idea that okay, maybe I'm. Not a great debater, which we saw last <laughs> week, uh, and maybe I've made some mistakes in my past that would anger Democrats. But if you want to win in November, you got to have somebody who's tough, who's wealthy enough to to go the distance in terms of advertising and things like that. And uh, I'm that guy. Yeah, I, I think the interesting uh, problem or conundrum, if you will, that the Democrats have is. Um, you know, if we play this out, more likely than not, Joe Biden will will win in South Carolina. It depends, you know, what his margin is, but he'll he'll likely come in first. So he'll get his set of delegates there. Then you move into Super Tuesday, and there's a good chance that Bloomberg would win a North Carolina place well in Virginia. Um, Bernie wins California. Elizabeth Warren wins Colorado. Um, and then, you know, Biden picks up a few victories here and there. And so you come out of Super Tuesday with three or four different people winning uh, states and picking up delegates, but not really cutting into the lead that that Bernie has. So I do think that there are people that look at Bloomberg and say, you know, this guy's willing to spend an inordinate amount of money uh, in order to beat Trump, and that's what we need. Um, But the problem is there isn't really a clear consensus between who the person should be going up against Bernie on the Democratic side. And so they're all they're all splitting their vote. But what's interesting about, um, you know, Charlie's case is here we are uh, a good couple of weeks out. Again, we have South Carolina. We have uh, Super Tuesday. And he's already made up his mind and already cast his vote before the candidates really even come into Michigan uh, campaign here and make their case to Michigan voters. Mm, wow. Uh, again, Charlie, really interesting, uh, really interesting story to share with us here. Let's go to James in Rochester Hills. James, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Thank you. I just wanted to ask your guest if he sees any parallels between the um, Trump campaign and the, and the Sanders campaign with them being both maybe marginal candidates at the start, capturing their base, and then coming out into the lead and in Trump's case, subsequently winning the presidential uh, seat. Does mm. he see any parallels between those two campaigns? Yeah. Great question, James. Dennis? And, and yeah, thank you for the question, James. Um, I, I do see a lot of parallels um, in both their campaigns from the, the standpoint of, of what you raised, where you have candidates that have, uh, at the beginning, uh, small minority support. And then they go and they win uh, a competition, Iowa, New Hampshire, 
And so that bolsters their claim and their support. Um, so now as these races go on, they continue to, to pile up victories with larger and larger percentages. Um, you know, we saw candidates drop out after New Hampshire. I think we probably will see candidates um, leave after uh, Super Tuesday. And so all of a sudden, you know, you, you have one person versus four or five, again, like Trump versus uh, a field of established uh, Republicans and Bernie versus a field of established Democrats. And so the path to victory is is very similar. Um, and, and again, the, both of their campaigns are meant and, and are running on disrupting the traditional political system, which is why you see the Democratic establishment having fits right now and raising this electability issue. But conversely, and it happened in 2016, the more the Democratic establishment complains about Bernie, the more the Republican establishment complained about Trump, the more it actually supported and bolstered their candidacy among those who want to see a political system. Who want to see something really different. Yeah, very different. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, thanks again for the call and the question. Let's go to Terry quickly in uh, Washington Township. Terry. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I think all you have to really do is look out to our last election almost two years ago in the in the midterms and see where the votes ended up almost nine million more votes for democrats i think uh i don't think it matters who the democrat is this year Mm. the democrat's going to win this election that that's just my opinion Mm. Uh, i think there's a lot of people who feel that way too and feel like, look, there was all this momentum. Why are we? Why are we panicking now about uh, what's going on? Because it's not a national vote. It's it's not you know. So Democrats very well could win the popular vote and lose the electoral college. Um, Democrats in 2020 have to win Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania in order to retain the uh, or to regain the presidency. Mm-hmm. If they lose in any of those other states, then they have to pick up uh, whether it's going to be North Carolina, Arizona, Florida. And so again, going back to the electability issue, people look at Bernie Sanders and say he cannot put Florida into play. So yes, I mean everyone I think expects the Democratic nominee or Democratic candidate to win the popular vote, but at the end of the day, it's the, it's electoral, the electoral college. college. Yeah. All right. Dennis Darnoy, Republican consultant. Uh, always great to have you here, especially on our opposite day on <laughs> Detroit Today when we have uh, opposite folks in to talk with me. Great to see you. Thank you very much. All right. Up next, we're going to hear from Richard Haas, the president of the Council on Foreign Relations and former special assistant to President George H.W. Bush, who will be in town tonight to talk trade and foreign policy at Wayne State University. Stay with us on Detroit Today.